Well, thank you all for staying. Um, I found the prospect of giving reflections at the end of this day rather daunting. So I turned for inspiration, as I always do at such moments, to William Morris, who you might be interested to know not 30 years ago, obviously, but 130 years ago, in 1884, wrote an essay entitled How We Live and How We Might Live. And what I want to do in my closing comments is just to make some comparisons between how activity in the coal industry in Britain has been handled. We've heard today at great length about the br brutality and the vindictiveness towards the coal industry by the Tory government, how, it actually, how we did live through that. But equally, I want to say a little bit about how things might have been. Indeed, more specifically, how the issue of pit closures was covered in other countries in Europe. I want, in other words, to have a European perspective on the coal strike, uh, rather than just a purely UK one. And therefore, I want to touch on, very briefly, on some points already made by Neil Kinnock, Robert Taylor, and John Monks. Um, because I think if we understand more about how certain European countries dealt with similar issues, then we, have a, we can see our own experience in, in better perspective. Um, and the fact is that uh, by the 1970s, the coal industry across Europe was in crisis. Now, we've seen how the crisis was engineered in the case of the UK. But in other European countries, there was a crisis as a result of other factors, not least the fact that world demand for steel had been falling, um, alternative oil uh, sources of uh, energy, as we know, for example, oil, gas, nuclear, had come on stream. And equally, there were environmental concerns over carbon emissions and so on. And therefore, uh, by really uh, the 1990s, uh, a large number of countries had already divested themselves of their coal industries. In the Netherlands, the coal industry was no longer operating after 1976. In Belgium and Portugal, it had closed down in the early 1990s. Deep coal mining was abolished in, or closed down in France in 2004. And into this rather grim scenario, the European Union steps in, and there's a, a lot of uh, regulation from the European Union on coal, but the most important decision of all in 2010 requires all coal mines across the whole of the European Union uh, to be self-sufficient by 2018, and if not, then all state subsidies to be axed. And indeed, those coal mines that do continue after 2018 then have to repay any state subsidies that have been made to them. As a result of that, coal mines in Spain and in Germany even will go by 2018. So the question really is how is the, are these pit closures being dealt with in other countries? Now, Spain isn't a particularly good example because it had many uh, state subsidies over many years, wasn't handled particularly well. But I do want to focus in particular on Germany um, as a model, really, for how pit closures have been dealt with, how the whole contraction of the mining industry has been dealt with. Um, and I must say, I, looking at uh, Nick Jones's uh, slides a bit earlier on, like there was one from The Sun which had Neil, uh, uh, Arthur Scargill apparently making a a salute with the big caption Mine Fuhrer which had been blacked by the print unions who had refused to print it quite rightly. But it's very ironical that the sun lives so much in the past with this old stereotype about Nazi Germany and never being able to get over the war in relation to the stereotypes of Germany, when in actual fact, German experience could be of great value to us if we could understand it better and apply it in our own country. Now, 
I want to say, I really want to make two points. One is, what is it about Germany that makes the way in which they handled coal closures much more uh, smooth? And secondly, what specific policy decisions have they come to that allowed that? Um, now, first of all, in relation to the first question, what is it about Germany? The first issue is corporate governance. Um, since 1951, uh, mining companies, coal, iron, steel uh, companies have had parity representation on supervisory boards. And in fact, they've even had Labour directors on the management boards of coal companies. This means that the German unions have been present at every moment of strategic decision-making in the German coal industry. It, things like investment decisions, marketing, uh, obviously closures, redundancies, things like that. The unions have been involved right from the very beginning, at the very earliest stages of, of strategy making. Whereas, of course, in the case of Britain, they've been totally, utterly excluded uh, all the time. Um, in addition to which, uh, experience or research shows that worker directors in, in Germany and other European countries where there are worker directors uh, have a genuine influence on the boards of companies, not least because other shareholder representatives tend to uh, recognise their greater experience in personal HR matters, and they tend to specialise in those areas, like other shareholder representatives specialise in accounting or law or whatever it is. And it means that the labour dimension is there at the very square one uh, when strategic decisions are being taken. Um, and it means also that very often worker directors in German companies, not least coal, are able to make strategic alliances with other uh, shareholder representatives when and where possible. So that's one thing about the German coal industry, the fact that German unions are present on the boards of companies at decision, uh, in, in, when making strategic decision, uh, decisions. The second key issue is the, is the political climate, the political structure of, of Germany, uh, the issue of centralisation and decentralisation. Now, Britain is a highly centralised country. No one has yet made the point in the attacks that Thatcher made on the, on the, on the miners and on the, the labour movement generally, she also attacked local government. Don't let's forget that she abolished the GLC, she introduced rate capping, she introduced compulsory competitive tendering, and overall she made the lives of local councils totally miserable. Um, in fact the whole process of centralisation in the UK has often been called domination through exclusion. Whitehall excludes local authorities and therefore takes decision which it then tries to implement for itself. We saw this nowhere better than in the way in which the mining issue was handled. In addition to which, the first-past-the-post system that we have in Britain means that miners in mining areas are generally disenfranchised when there is a Tory government. Now, I was very interested by Professor Howells, who told us that Sherwood in Nottinghamshire had elected a Tory MP in 1983. I didn't know that. Very unusual, I must say. Um, because normally we expect mining areas to return Labour MPs. But that means if there's a Tory government, those people are disenfranchised. Now, if we compare that with Germany, we see something completely, totally different, which is, first of all, in terms of horizontal integration of the political structure from the federal uh, government through to state-level government and also city councils. You have coordinated um, policy-making routes through there. Um, and also, horizontally, employers, unions... Uh, 
uh, uh, development agencies, uh, higher education, further education, horizontally, these groups also will come together in order to deal with uh, issues like redundancies in, say, coal on a consensual uh, manner. Um, and therefore, you, you have a completely different uh, climate of consensus within the German political system. And that's reflected too, of course, in the political system, the voting system, which allows even a state like North Rhine-Westphalia, where the Ruhr is uh, located, where you have most uh, coal mines, from 25 to 2010 actually had a CDU liberal coalition government. So even the coal mining area will return on occasions CDU, that is to say, Christian Democrat-oriented government. Now, this means that the right-wing political parties in Germany have an interest in maintaining their relationships with miners and with working people in a way that the Tories simply do not bother because they know that miners are never going to vote for them. And related to that, we had the issue of the role of unemployment. Um, I'll just remind you of a quotation from um, uh, Norman Lamont, who at the time was Chancellor Exchequer, who said in May 1991, rising unemployment and the recession have been the price that we've had to pay to get inflation down. That price is well worth paying. Norman Lamont had been the chief secretary under Thatcher as well, so he was very much hand in glove with, with Thatcher, even though when he said that, he was Chancellor Exchequer under John Major. That towards unemployment as a political tool is one that runs through Tory thinking. And as a result of that, you have the spillover into civil liberties. You have to crack down on civil liberties if you are using unemployment as a political tool, because you're concerned about uh, the way in which uh, uh, protest groups may, may uh, undermine your government. And hence the, the whole paranoia about civil liberties. And don't forget, we've heard a lot about civil liberties. A, a very good book by Keith Ewing, by the way, uh, Freedom Under Thatcher. Read that if you want, part and parcel to what was going on. So again, in Germany, a totally different attitude. I mean, unemployment is simply not used as a political tool. So for all these reasons, and I'll come to an end fairly soon, the, 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 the second area as a result of all this are the policy responses that German governments have taken towards uh, pit closures and redundancies. And you find as I've already said, that the German mining union is integrated into the strategic development of the mining industry through its representation on boards. Um, and therefore, uh, it, it was responsible for joint uh, policy on retraining, for example, redundant miners reductions in hours and wages, uh, in downsizing, transfers between pits, all these sorts of things. Very importantly, too, training before miners are made redundant. In the case of Britain, miners offered retraining after redundancy. In the case of Germany, further education colleges are involved in training before redundancy. In fact, in the case of Germany, in-work training, where you get two-thirds of your wage, actually involves you in in this kind of activity. And therefore, in, we find also that the, the, the German equivalent of the National Coal Board, the RAG, the Rural Coal Aktion Gesellschaft, the, the RAG uh, has itself, okay, um, has itself diversified. Um, as the question of scaling down the mining industry has become apparent, for the last 20 years or so, the RAG, the German employers, have diversified their own activities into areas like reclamation, 
of land waste and product recycling, um, development of a whole product, a whole cluster of companies engaged in environmental protection, all these things. And therefore, a sizable majority, a sizable proportion of the REG's current employment is actually in diversified industries, no longer in mining. Um, uh, and then finally, the development agencies in Germany too have played a part here. In the case of the East Ruhr Development Agency, 12,000 new companies registered in North Rhine-Westphalia uh, uh, in recent years. Um, universities set up, colleges set up, industrial parks, technology centres, and all these things designed to regenerate the areas that are hit by, by pit closures. And as a result of that, if we look at a few criteria for evaluating the success of uh, the handling of industrial decline and the regeneration of, of industries, things like structural unemployment, skills imbalances, physical neglect of the environment, depopulation, social disintegration, all those kinds of criteria, you find that North Rhine-Westphalia, the, the rural area, comes out extremely strongly indeed. Um, uh, whereas in the case of Britain, as we've heard throughout the course of this day, they're simply vindictive sabotaging of every attempt to deal with, with uh, um, uh, uh, pit closures. So finally, and my last word, John, you'll be pleased to know, is what lessons can be drawn from this? Well, like Alistair, it's difficult to draw lessons, but what I will say is that for me, the question of planning and regulation is what really stands out in the case of Germany. We can't transport German institutions into Britain, of course not, nor laws, and no, of course not. But the, the way in which the Germans without planning and regulating, that I believe we can learn from. And I think that all of us need to be arguing now for the re-regulation of labour markets. We heard Terry Thomas this morning quite rightly pointed out that the, minus, the defeat of the miners has led today, 30 years later, to zero-hours contracts and the, the degradation of, of labour, as we know. We need to be writing that kind of thing. And I do believe that if we can come to grips with the issue of, say, worker directors on boards, consultation information, employee participation in industry, all those kinds of issues, then I do believe that we might be able to narrow the gap between how we live and how we might live. Thank you. Well, thank you, colleagues. Um,